Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. How are y'all today? Mm. So, today we have an interesting topic. Uh, today's topic is uh, about our practices. Yeah. Um, the topic for the day. I'm going to change the topic a bit. So the topic is supposed to be misery and joy. I'm going to change it into misery or joy. Yeah, I think maybe it makes more sense. Mm. As a matter of fact, uh, it, uh, it was inspired by a question posted by a student. One of them uh, had this question uh, about uh, about what? About let me just oh I almost clicked the wrong button. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's basically about this uh, there's a student in one of the uh, recent meditation class she asked about how uh, how to have joy in our practices and in particular meditation so I thought maybe make it more generic uh, to just refer to practices uh, and, and then I thought mm, maybe, maybe some of us do get joy in our practices but uh, maybe sometimes when we do our practices, we we may feel misery, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to have the title uh, "Misery yeah, and Joy" or "Misery or Joy" in our practices. Hmm. So let's uh, let's get started. Let me switch to the whiteboard. Uh, get the whiteboard over. It's actually black in color, but uh, the screen would become white. Or rather, the screen is white. Let me switch it over here. Okay, good. Hmm. misery or joy in our practices so um, we could also extend this even further uh, to include uh, our our life yeah, the things we do but let's start off with practices okay uh, let me see uh, let me just look through the messages before we start Good afternoon again to all those who just joined us. Uh, let me see if there's anybody who posted anything already. Okay, so practices. 
Let me just write it down here first. Practices. What are the kind of practices we do? Maybe you could, uh, you can write into the comments. The kind of practices that you all do on a regular basis. Uh, it can be practices that you do on a daily basis. It can be practices that you do uh, once a week or a few times a week. Yeah. So let's start off with meditation. Oh, let me just write down meditation here. Because this is uh, the question from Li Hui. She asked this question and that's how we got started with it. What other practices do you all do? Practices are. <laughs> Is the message? Uh, oh, okay. Chanting, mindfulness, chanting. Okay, let's try that. Susinguan uh, Meta. So Meta uh, is part of uh, meditation. And then we have yoga. Yes, that's okay. Yeah, you can include uh, whatever practice you are doing, okay? Uh, we don't have to limit it to Buddhist practices for now. And then uh, what else? Let me see. Ah, attending Dharma talks. Yes, very good. What else? Ah, Dana. Share. What the share is, but I would presume it's a bit like Dana. Maybe uh, I Hui, you can clarify the sharing part chanting sutra, reading sutra. So we can put this uh, maybe nearby here. So reading sutra slash. Dharma books. And then uh, offering foods help. Mm. Very good. Let me just string this down a bit so we have more space. So we have uh, help. So dana means to give, okay? Yeah, so dana itself. 
the word dana is a Pali Sanskrit word which means to to give yeah so you can give help you can share uh, in a way share is more like a parallel okay so you can give many things uh, you can give help you can give uh, material things what else recitation walking meditation okay very good so we have uh, walking meditation and then chanting and recitation is uh, similar yeah the practice of chanting started off as a form of recitation actually Wee Hoon says, I also have an inertia to do chanting on my own. Maybe I'm lazy or I do not really enjoy it. Yes, that, that's part of it. Huh? And we're going to uh, explore more of it today. So we have a copy of Sutra. Yeah, I'll explain a bit more of some of these practices yeah, later. giving charity work mm. so so this is Antadana uh, so charity reading books okay that's uh, included just now reading of Dharma books mindful going about my daily life yeah yes that's very good mm. So let's put that in. Mindfulness. Yeah, in the daily life. strong okay let's just write it down getting rid of ends <coughs> without killing them good memory uh, I not let me just write it down first maybe Alison you can clarify what you mean by memory say um, memory practices and then exercise I'm going to put it um, somewhere near yoga okay because for many people they do yoga as a form of exercise sharing of your Facebook life <laughs> okay 
so I'm going to just put it as uh, sharing of Dharma. Okay. So, share Dharma. And sending loving kindness to people we don't get along with. That will be under Metta. Oh. Loving kindness is Metta itself. Hmm. This is basically loving kindness. Okay, we're going to add in uh, a few more before we uh, look at the whole set. And then we have uh, gratitude. Hmm. Ah, yes, sila. Putting five precepts in practice. Oh, so this is under sila. Five precepts. Okay, bhavana is actually a f uh, related to meditation, but I'm going to just write it down here. Um, bhavana. Be sharing of your Facebook life on life, Gong Xiu online live Gong Xiu. So Gong Xiu, I'm going to put it next to chanting here. Starting of Tzu Kui, put the values into practice. Uh, that will be under chanting recitation. Wisdom and right thought, right view. Um, I would put that under near to the reading of Sutra. Wisdom and right thought, right view. Wisdom. Thought. Right view. <coughs> hmm. Offering of water and light to the triple gem. Okay. So water and light. Okay, I think uh, that's about it. I uh, that we can add in more later. Uh, we have uh, water, incense, fruits. Okay. 
uh, we can definitely add in a lot more uh, and potentially <laughs> spend well that was like 10 10 15 minutes 10 minutes of uh, writing yeah okay so uh, we have quite a bundle here so let's take a look so we have uh, the different kinds of practices. Yeah. Uh, for a start, I'm going to focus on uh, the more so-called traditional uh, Buddhist practices. Okay. Um, and then I'll extend a bit more outwards. Yeah. So this question, um, the the original premise was. So that's the student um, is uh, poses very interesting question, and I wonder whether it applies to y'all. So this student um, tries to meditate, meditates on a regular basis, um, and and so uh, recently in one of the I think it was during the retreat. Was it a class or retreat? I think mentioned in the during the retreat about the uh, the fact that while she tries to meditate on a regular basis, but she don't find any joy in it. Yeah, I, I thought that question was um, was very good. Yeah, uh, it's it's very good not not because I'm happy that she don't find joy. You know. Uh, usually when we hear uh, people sharing about their practices we tend to hear the positive uh, the, the positive story the success story oh this person uh, did meditation and found calmness and peace you know uh, this person do chanting and then oh uh, it uh, gave him give him or her so much uh, courage and strength you know uh, this person do this practice, that practice, and it has transformed their lives miraculously. Yeah, uh, I thought that students sharing uh, about, you uh, know, in, in a way, the negative success story, the the not so successful story, is uh, is very good. Uh, because the truth is, I I don't think everybody uh, immediately find joy uh, in their practices. Uh, I think for 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 some people, you may you may do certain practices for a while, and initially it may you may feel good about it, and then sometimes after a while you may not feel um, too much joy, yeah. Or for some people, right from the start until the present day, you just don't feel joy, yeah. You don't feel excited. You don't feel anything. You know, maybe, yeah. But you still do it uh, simply because, okay. Logically speaking, it seems to be a good thing to do, <coughs> yeah. Uh, or because you know all your all your Buddhist friends are doing it, or maybe because the Buddhist text says that you should do this, or maybe the teacher, yeah, <laughs> myself, maybe, yeah, or or maybe wh whichever community you belong to, uh, that's the practice they do. So you do it, yeah. But what? What happens if you don't find joy? So I, I think this is a very good question because uh, oftentimes we look at the model answer, you know, the model story, or people practice 
you get joy. People practice, you get results. Yeah. And the two are linked. That uh, if we practice and we don't get results, uh, then more often than not, we don't feel joy. And I think it can be applied to many of these uh, things we do, including even yoga. Yeah. Like if you keep on doing yoga, but you just don't find yourself improving uh, in terms of your flexibility, in terms of your well-being, or you do exercises, but you know you just continually for a year you do your practices, your exercise, but your health just don't improve. Yeah, then I think it's hard to, to sustain, right? Uh, so. Why do we not experience joy? And what should we do? Uh, so I, I shared in some classes about how... Um, so going back to the... When do we feel joy? And uh, perhaps why do we feel joy? There are perhaps many reasons why we feel joy in our practices. Um, and it boils down to a, a simple thing about that we uh, we feel gratified, we feel satisfied, um, or we we feel like we are we are pretty good doing it, yeah, uh, and doing it. So take for example meditation. If let's say when you do meditation, um, you sit, and your leg is painful, yeah. Uh, or you sit and your mind is all over the place you sit and you're, or you're drowsy maybe if this happens in the first few sessions maybe you'll still try but if trying it for a few more times and uh, you don't see progress yeah, uh, then you may start to feel disheartened and your joy may start to decrease yeah. Uh, so, uh, the question I have here is, uh, how do we measure our progress? How do we measure whether we are doing it uh, well? Yeah? Be it meditation, be it observing of precepts, be it um, any of the practices that we have here. Yeah? We pro probably go through a few of them as examples because we have quite a huge list here. Yeah? And uh, what would be the a good measure, or for that matter, is there a right measure of uh, doing it right? Yeah. So uh, let's look at meditation for a start. When we say we do meditation, um, how many of you meditate, uh, hoping to be calm and peaceful? Maybe you can write into the chat. Yeah, I don't know how how, how long is the lag between me speaking and then uh, it appears. I think it's perhaps like uh, a few seconds. Yeah, so maybe you can write down. Uh, but I would think that um, if you meditate with the thought, uh, let me meditate so that I can become. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but the calmness itself, yeah, um, 
each time when we sit do we definitely get calmness uh, there was this uh, I think there was this very interesting uh, Q&A with uh, Ajahn Chah uh, that I read in one of the book yeah. um, someone asked Ajahn Chah like why is it that uh, some days when they sit they have a good sitting some days when they sit they don't have good sitting and the strange thing is um, when they are putting in a lot of effort they may not naturally get good sitting sometimes they do sometimes they don't but the strange thing is that um, when they do get good sittings <laughs> uh, it may well be that they are not really putting in extra effort yeah. so why? so Ajahn Chah's answer was very most interesting he said um, it is like going to work you work every day but you don't get paid every day until at the end of the month then you get paid and on payday itself you may well not be working now this 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 maybe requires a bit of explanation so um, when we meditate we are planting the seeds yeah we are we are doing the work but um, it doesn't mean that you meditate and immediately you get the results yeah, straight away so you accumulate the if we can use mo some modern terms it will be like the momentum in the mind yeah, the potential in the mind to be calm, to be quiet and as we do meditation today tomorrow we do this week, next week over time um, that potential builds up until a certain critical point then we it manifests it uh, it arises as an experience of that calmness yeah. in the Buddhist tradition we, we use the analogy of seeds yeah, or wholesome roots where you plant the seeds and then eventually at some point yeah, that practice culminates in that ripening of the calmness yeah. so sometimes when you practice you may not immediately get the results yeah. so if we were to measure um, the quality of our practice in terms of oh, whether we get calmness or not then we may well be setting ourselves up for failure yeah, because you don't always get calmness if you expect that you must always get calmness then uh, you will probably give up very quickly yeah. Um, so having the right expectations uh, of our practice is important yeah. the right goal whether the goal is uh, number one um, what the practice is meant to deliver yeah, to produce and number two when it should produce yeah. um, so meditation um, the other thing is some other students then ask what if I've been doing this practice for a while yeah or how long and and I still don't get any results should I still continue yeah and that student then asks like what if I simply don't have the flag yeah uh, so uh, there are some people with with more um, affinity than others yeah but if you don't have affinity 
then I would say all the more we should start planting the affinity. Alright? Uh, I like what uh, some of you wrote, Jaslyn wrote, meditate as part of practice, not looking for any outcome. The thing is, even the, the so-called good sitting, the calmness we experience, uh, is subject to causality, to conditions. When there are no conditions, you, you, you cannot simply say, I meditate and will myself to have calmness. Make myself calm. You, you cannot do that. When there are conditions, then calmness arises. When there's conditions, distracting thoughts arise. Yeah. All we are doing is planting the seeds yeah, or changing the conditions. That's all we can do. Yeah. Uh, and it includes whether we feel joy or not. It includes even apart from our practices, in our daily life, are we happy or sad? Are we angry or mad? Are we joyful yeah, or not? Uh, like, think about it. Right now, at this moment, just for five seconds, try to be angry for five seconds, right now. Let me know in the comments whether you are able to do that. Like, right now, be angry. Any of you manage to do that? Chances are, uh, you, may, you may try you find that you cannot just make yourself angry like that. Or now, just make yourself happier than you are now. Yeah, just like that. Happy, cannot, not? cannot. You see, even our emotions, even our mental states, is subject to conditions. If you think about it, it's quite mind blowing. Uh, yeah, two days ago I was reflecting on this. When I was doing um, my sitting, and I was observing the my my mind. I was observing the the sitting, and I reflected on this, and I thought, "Ah, huh, we, we we cannot even control our emotions. As in, we cannot make ourselves happy, make ourselves sad, you know. And that's why when someone is angry, um, if you just tell a person, don't be angry." The person can't help it, you know, because the conditions, both external and internal, has come together. And part of a huge part of the condition is our internal conditions, which is that there's some um, grasping on to the external conditions. There are some views, there are some um, uh, knots, knots inside. Yeah. And so as a result, when all that come together, anger arise. When different set comes together, joy arise. Yeah. So if you look at all the Buddhist practices, those that is used to mitigate uh, anger, mitigate uh, the defilements, uh, it works on the causes. It works on the causes and conditions, not on the anger directly. Because the anger is the result. The defilements are the result. You cannot simply just say no defilement. I mean, if you, it would be good if you can, but if you can do that, that means you have absolute control. Yeah. So, um, yeah.
the closest you can get to that kind of absolute control is by diverting your mind away from the object that triggered your emotions yeah so extending from this example i've uh, i've asked you all to try uh, the same goes for all the practices yeah when you do all those practices whether joy arises or not there must be conditions and whether those conditions arise or not you need more conditions yeah now um what about the other practices yeah we talk about meditation mm. about chanting about recitation uh For those of you who do chanting, uh, sometimes when we do chanting, we feel very, um, what do you call that? I've heard of students who who tear, yeah. Uh, I don't say cry. Cry means that you are emotionally charged, yeah. Um, many times when students share with me that tears come out when they chant. Uh, it is not the, the kind of sad emotions, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is not an uncommon experience, yeah. Uh, in the past, when I chant the Lu Xiang San right at the end, yeah, Namo Xiang Yun Kai Bhusa Mohosa, yeah, yeah, tears will just come off, mm. and it's uh, it can be a very uplifting experience. Yeah, not a sad experience. Now the question is, uh, when we feel that way, yeah, uh, when we do chanting, or when we do uh, the practice of dana, when we do giving, we help others, yeah, and extend it to that, we volunteer our services, and so on and so forth, or even attending dharma talks, we may feel uplifted. We may feel wow, this high, you know, yeah, this joy. Um, but what if sometimes you don't experience it? Yeah. What if sometimes you don't experience it? Then do you stop doing that practice? Or does it mean that you are doing it wrong? I mean, after all, I, I don't think I don't think it's uh, all. Well, it's not uncommon. I don't think everybody start tearing whenever they do chanting, right? Yeah, and at the first place. Was that the intention? That when we do chanting, we should be tearing. Was it meant to make us tear? Yeah. Uh, the short answer is no. I don't see in any places that says, "Oh, uh, that Zhu Fu Zi, Ruo Du Song Shou Ci Shi, or Ying, Tong Ku Lei Ti." That is not the the core premise. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I want to share and highlight today is that um, even in the case of doing some practices, um, if you don't feel joy, uh, we shouldn't then give up. Yeah, we shouldn't then give up, because more often than not, for most of us, when we experience joy in our practices, it is somewhat coloured with. Delight and grasping, or to put it simply, attachment. Yeah, we like that feeling, and it's more an emotional thing uh, than than not. 
uh, nothing wrong with it in a way because it's, it's an experience yeah but the question is what do we do with it uh, if we experience it and it inspires us to further our practice without attachment then the next time when we do or the next 10 times when we do the practice and we don't feel joy it's okay we can still continue with our practices but if we experience the joy with attachment what's the implication it means that if after that there's no more joy then we don't feel like practicing uh, this is one easy way to look at our our experience of joy whether there's attachment why because if there's no attachment there's no aversion when you don't get joy yeah, there's no um, there's, there's, there's no uh, longing for that uh, that joy again yeah, so whether you get a joy or not it's okay in a way the joy is uh, how do I put it the joy is uh, secondary yeah it's secondary yeah so uh, and this applies to I would say a, a huge part of all the other practices uh, one thing that is interesting to note the practice of gratitude mm. the practice of gratitude yeah this is where there's a bit of exception so when we do the practice of gratitude um, it should well first of first and foremost uh, evoke gratitude yeah so uh, this practice in Buddhism this practice basically um, starts off with uh, looking at the things you have yeah and then reflecting on the source of those things yeah it can be material it can be immaterial yeah, yeah. this is not simply about a materialistic reflection it is reflecting on the source of whatever we have and it leads to contentment it leads to appreciation of the effort it leads to gratitude yeah so and with that then it leads to joy towards um, both those who contributed to what we have contributed to our well-being contributed to um, the uh, the presence of what we require and what we want yeah and also leads to joy yeah from that contentment yeah to consider that uh, whatever we have uh, didn't come easy and not just through ourselves yeah but through many many individuals yeah and many many resources so that this practice of gratitude um, actually is based on wisdom yeah uh, wisdom by reflecting on conditions and in which is linked to the emptiness of all phenomena yeah and that's how in buddhism we, we develop gratitude yeah and through gratitude it also overcome help us to overcome pride yeah uh, we may we may be successful in a certain way yeah uh, but if we are to reflect on our success that success is not simply through our own effort not singular not just by ourselves but through the efforts of many many individuals yeah. so this is one thing that 
uh, I want to highlight because if you practice gratitude uh, joy is the expected outcome well, uh, the, the rest a bit different and the rest of it is a bit different well, uh, the practice of sila uh, uh, I want to just also touch on the practice of sila one of you is calling me uh, I can't take calls at this point uh, Rod so I'm not sure why you are calling me at this point because I'm currently in class in session one of these uh, uh, friend from Thailand met him in one of the conference uh, I think it was part of the I was part of this delegation to the uh, what is that the uh, uh, Mahachulalongkong University in Thailand Northern Thailand uh, so you're we part of the delegation and I think during that trip then uh, he was one of the one of the um, individuals who who attended to to the delegation not sure what he needs but uh, perhaps you can leave a message into the to the uh, video oh. okay back to this thing about sila so this thing about sila here sila is not simply about precepts sila is about behavior and body and speech and within uh, the buddhist teaching of the practices uh, pertaining to our body and speech five precepts is one of them there's also the eight precepts but if we if we extend it further then it can be extended to even activities in our daily life yeah so i like what one of you uh, mentioned earlier about developing mindfulness uh, developing mindfulness uh, in our daily life yeah this is this is very important uh, and the example given was preparation of food and while doing that to sometimes there are ends and you need to remove the ends uh, but to do it mindfully without killing them oh. um, so uh, I want to spend a bit of time to talk about the opposite where just when you talk about joy what if you don't have joy and how can you have how, how do you um, what do you do if you don't have joy, right? Um, what about the reverse? Yeah. How about if you experience misery? Yeah. Yeah. So just now mentioned about when we do meditation, yeah. Sometimes we feel a lot of pain, yeah. Or perhaps we even feel frustrated, yeah. Uh, just very quickly, a, a huge part of that again comes with either the wrong expectations so we don't get the expected results yeah, but it could well be due to the wrong expectations um, the other aspect of misery sometimes is that when we are doing our practice then we may encounter circumstances that put us in a spot yeah. like for example I have students um, when they attend Dharma talks they feel stressed yeah and uh, some of them shared with me the reason they said because uh, their family members are against them attending dharma talks so 
so some of them even have to lie to their family members and so because of the lying then they feel bad about attending Dhamma talks so I shared with them I said well uh, you have to ask yourself are you doing something bad are you doing something unethical yeah or are you some, doing something good uh, just because your family or friends or anyone for that matter just because someone is unhappy with us for doing something be it attending Dharma talks be it doing charity or anything for that matter uh, you have to ask yourself um, is the person upset uh, objectively because of your actions or is it because of the subjective experience we're not denying people of their subjective experience uh, but we have to know that subjective experience cannot be accounted for we cannot be responsible for people's subjective experience yeah? um, because otherwise then there can be some random people out there yeah, who, who, who says that oh you all shouldn't do this practice or what like what if someone out there says oh we shouldn't have this dharma discussion so sh should we then shut it down yeah um, I, I don't think that's the way to live our life yeah uh, but if it produces objective uh, harm yeah objective harm uh, then that's different like for example if you do your chanting at home <laughs> I sometimes tell my students this yeah it's almost like a joke you know uh, it's a bit challenging some of these practices like doing chanting at home if you choose to do chanting you may have to consider the objective impact on your family yeah so then you may have to do some adjustments uh, for example I have some students who uh, on their own accord decided to wake up very early to do meditation like they would wake up at 5 to do meditation until 5.30 and then uh, prepare, uh, make preparations for breakfast and then uh, prepare their kids for, for school and so on I mean that was in the past before the circuit breaker but what if this student decided to do chanting at 5 can we still say that that's an, a subjective experience? No. Like imagine if your family members wake up at five and then started going tok 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 tok, yeah, started doing chanting, then that has an objective impact on others, yeah. So if we are doing uh, chanting at home, uh, then we may have to do some adjustment, either the timing or perhaps the the, the way we do it yeah uh, we can do the chanting without the instruments yeah in fact for lay people uh, if you're doing it alone there's lesser need to do it with the instruments yeah the the fa qi, yeah um, and the reason is because um, the fa qi in general is used to um, use in the in the assembly that means when there's a there's an assembly of of the practitioners be it monks or nuns or the 
monks, nuns, and lay, lay persons. Yeah, uh, it's used to synchronize everybody. Yeah, and it's it's helpful for everybody to to do the practice together in this way. Uh, so if you are doing chanting at home, you don't really have to you know start hitting all the instruments and the fati. Yeah, the exception here is for monastics. Temple is designed for us to do the practice. Yeah. So I I've heard of uh, how uh, there was a period of time I stayed in some of the uh, centers, and some of the senior monks shared with us about how uh, the they got complained by neighbors for doing their chanting in the morning. Yeah, because in the morning they would strike the the drum, and then after that the bell, and then they do the chanting. So they. The, the neighbors, uh, for whatever reasons, I mean, okay, for obvious reasons rather, you know, get affected and then they start calling up the police, they call up the, the URA or whatever. And the authorities came down and then they had a meeting. And the senior monk told me that, yeah, they had a meeting. And then they, the, the authorities, the, the representative from the various um, uh, bodies came and then they had a discussion. And then they state the case that you know when you do the your your chanting early in the morning it disturbs the neighbors. So this senior monk uh, raised a very interesting point. He said, "Our temple has been around for some almost. I think that temple was has been around for some eighty years or a hundred years or so, a very long time, many many decades." He said that. Uh, when they started off, the surrounding place was all empty, and then people started building uh, houses nearby. So they said, "So he said, we have been around. Uh, if people choose to come and build their house next to us, it's not our fault that they they choose to build out their house near near to us. So, and people who buy the house know that the temple itself is very clear. This is the temple." So why should, you know, them moving over, uh, require us to change our practices? Yeah. So I heard that in the end, you know, uh, it was sort of like agreed that they can still continue their practices. Uh, but for lay people, that's a bit different now. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? The other practices. Um, some are, uh, are very specific and I, I can't really tell the context yeah how, what kind of practices that is like the practice of memory uh, we've touched roughly on yoga exercises entitling Dhamma talks copy of Sutra yeah so some of us some of you may be wondering what this practice is about so in the uh, at least from what I know in the Chinese uh, Mahana tradition, there is this practice of copying of the sutra, uh, and this practice is uh, is is positioned as being very meritorious, very wholesome, um, and it, it the, the reason is because uh, back in the days, there's there's no printing press, you know, you you you, you cannot simply just go online and download uh, the 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 sutras. Uh, so, in order to have uh, access to the sutra, you you need to 
actually uh, make a copy of the, the sutras that is currently available. Yeah, so in the past, individuals would painstakingly copy the sutras letter by letter, character by character. Yeah, so um, that practice itself is very meritorious because uh, by doing that, others get access to the teachings. Yeah, it is not like now when you go to temples, there's like stacks of um, all the sutras, and sometimes nowadays we have the the opposite problem where um, individuals out of piety, out of devotion. Uh, would donate to print a lot of Buddhist texts and in the end it's just collecting you know in the store because nobody read it yeah nobody is reading them yeah so um, today some centers still do this practice of copying of the sutra uh, but they uh, they use a, a very special kind of book where you use a brush with and not use ink but you use plain water and you just write over yeah you just write it over so it can be reused and it doesn't um, sort of uh, uh, leave any stain yeah uh, so today when you do that practice it's a bit different from how it was in the past in the past it was purely functional practical and really meritorious because you are making a copy so that others can have access to it um, Today, when we do that practice, it is in part to commit to memory the, the wordings of that sutra for ourselves. And uh, in the process of doing it, developing mindfulness, developing uh, uh, some level of concentration as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so, there are still some where they where they um, print those uh, empty set of, of uh, sutra where it's the outline of the characters and then they use the actual ink to write over it some seniors have shared with me about how um, when, when individuals do that practice sometimes they just take blank books and then they copy existing sutra and then they, they shared the trouble with doing that is most of <laughs> Most of our, if your handwriting is like mine, <laughs> uh, okay, my handwriting with the digitizer uh, is very jealous, very bad. Uh, but uh, my actual handwriting is not that much better. So if your handwriting is anything like mine, uh, <laughs> so the senior says, if the handwriting is not so good, after copying, uh, nobody else can use it. <laughs> because people have a hard time reading it yeah and if your handwriting is not legible or not pleasant whoever is reading the sutra you cannot blame people that if they are reading the sutra and the handwriting you know is not it's very messy then people feel <laughs> so uh, so this is what was shared by a senior that as a result you have more problem yeah and sometimes Sometimes, students, when they are copying, they make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, they may be aware, they may not be aware. And if they are not aware, then the copy is wrong. <laughs> then it, it's actually 
demerit instead of merit. Or if they are aware, then they go and blanco, they go and cancel it, then it's really quite messy. Yeah. So if you are doing the practice of copying of sutra, uh, I would encourage you to use you know brush with water to write over it. Yeah. Uh, so that you don't end up um, creating copies that cannot be used by anyone. Yeah. Unless you are very certain you can do it properly, yeah, then uh, you can do that and then give it to others. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, Alison go uh, Alison explains memory development. Commit the suttas word by word to mind or remember a list of words. Ah, okay. So then that would be similar to recitation. Oh, that would be a similar practice to recitation. Mm. Yeah. So, um, any 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 questions at this point? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, by and large, when we do our practices, um, it shouldn't bring misery. Huh? Yeah. Uh, but if we look at the suttas, the Buddha actually mentioned that when a person do practices, um, we we can experience a bit of suffering also. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And it is what kind of suffering is that? It is a suffering that. Um, you cannot attain progress, yeah, and and so this is actually mentioned in uh, some of the suttas, yeah, and the other one is that when we do our practices, um, by and large, it it requires us to give up our our worldly pursuits, yeah, uh, because any of the practices, in fact, all the practices require time. Time taken for practices is time taken away from our worldly pursuits. This is, you know, you only have, you can only do one thing at a time. Unless any of you, you are doing chanting while watching YouTube, uh, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, like, you're watching Netflix video and then you are listening to Dharma talk, please don't do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you do that, but if you are doing that, please don't do that. <laughs> so, um, the thing is, when we first uh, do our practices, we are taking time out of our usual routine. So you are giving up on the worldly pursuits, worldly pleasures. Uh, so you experience the loss of the worldly pleasures really. But it doesn't mean that you immediately uh, get joy. You immediately experience improvement. Yeah, so as a result, um, we sometimes experience regret. Mm. Yeah. Maybe not misery, but we may experience regret. Yeah. So in the teachings under the five hindrances we talk about this. Yeah. Uh, restlessness and worry. In the Chinese text we talk about the uh, regret over wrongdoings and regret over right doing. And this is the second category, regret over right doing or misery, if you will. Yeah, 
um, so this this is where we need to be clear yeah uh, and have the right mindset the right view towards our practices we must know that uh, the the loss of the uh, worldly pleasure is a short-term loss yeah but if you are to persist yeah persist in the practice then in time you will bear fruit in one of the sutta the buddha described how uh, you don't immediately see results day by day yeah you don't like oh today i do this much practice so immediately i see this much changes uh, you, you this it doesn't work that way but rather the buddha described saying uh, just as a carpenter when he used his tool working on the wood pieces of wood every day you don't see any changes in the in the tools like if you use a hammer uh, the, day by day he don't see any changes to the wooden handle or if he's using a file yeah uh, he don't see any changes in the handles but over time when he examined the the tools again he will observe that ah the handle has been worn out so the buddha used this as an analogy that similarly when we do our practices uh, if you uh, practice and expect to see immediate result yeah after one sitting see immediate result after one day immediately see results uh, that's not realistic yeah but over time yeah over a period of time then you compare yeah uh, you will see results uh, i recently shared with some students this and that oftentimes we don't see the differences but when we compare with um, my senior shared yeah in fact um, my senior shared this uh, about how if we keep up to a regular practice over time you may not see any results but when we uh, he was he was talking to me in reference to our monastery in us because our uh, my ordination monastery is in US. Yeah, Fayun Si. So the senior said, uh, when you go back and you talk to your uh, friends or uh, others in Singapore, yeah, after a few years, when you go back and you talk to them, ah, uh, then you see a difference. Yeah, in between, you don't feel any difference. No. So keep this in mind. Otherwise, you will, uh, you may be overcome by the misery. Uh, or you may be disheartened and you stop practicing. Mm. Doreen asked, how do we dispose the sutra after we have copied? Yeah, so this is the thing. Maybe we don't create suttas to be disposed at the first place. Oh, uh, what I know is that most temples, if they receive it somehow, uh, then we, we call it hua diao. So basically we, we burn it. Uh, respectfully of course yeah but i as i in my opinion um let's try not to create that yeah if we know that eventually we're going to just burn it you know yeah if we were to copy a sutra you should copy with an intention to use it yeah so if if like let's say you you would like to have uh for example you want to have a copy of heart sutra now and you don't want to um, and you want to copy the Hatsutra 
then maybe don't go and get a copy uh, just download from the internet and then do a proper copy do it once sweet sweet yeah do it once and then after that use that as your copy yeah or if you want to copy for others uh, this is one thing uh, while the giving of Dharma excels all give yeah, Dharma Pada uh, sometimes it's good to check whether the other person would appreciate it because sometimes people just give Dharma give to others um, without checking if they are you know open or they, they would appreciate that then you give it to that person and that person is stuck with the Dharma book or your copy of your, the sutra and the person may be like uh, what do I do with it yeah also Doreen uh, from what I know what we usually do is we will uh, either burn it or we will wrap it up properly you know uh, do 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 some dedication and then we will dispose of it yeah uh, but try not to create it at the first place huh? so uh, Alison further questions sorry one side question if possible is the restlessness under five hindrances the same as the restlessness under the ten fetters? Yes, it's the same, the same uh, thing altogether. No, same restlessness. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts here. Rosie asks, uh, can we keep after copying? Of course you can keep. Uh, but as I said, <laughs> if you already have one copy, creating 10 copies of the same sutra, um, how do I put it? You see, the, the, the whole idea about, I, I, I explained earlier, the whole uh, notion of copying sutra in the past was simply to create copies of it so that many other people can have access to the sutra it's different from the way it's practiced today today is practiced as an end by itself that merely copying it is meritorious um, i would like to beg to differ because if you just copy and then just keep it in the shelf you know you copy and don't give it out you copy and then just keep it in the shelf it's it's not <laughs> it's not like going um how do I put it? it uh, we, we need to remove our materialistic uh, um, habits. Uh. Oh, I copy one set, I have N merits. I copy M sets, then I have N times N merits. Um, in this case, it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, because you are just replicating things that nobody is reading. Because if you think about it, if that works, then I have an easier way for you to create merits. Yeah, just download a PDF of Heart Sutra, and then very simple, you know, on your PC, copy Control C, and then go, you know, in the File Explorer, Control V, Control V, Control V, Control V. Yeah, does does that create more merits? No, <laughs> it just means that there are more copies of it that no one is reading. Yeah, I I, I mean I would love if 
that is a convenient way of creating merits. But I, I see no uh, rationale uh, to justify, you know, that translating to merits. Yeah. So I, I would seriously, don't, you know, not encourage people to copy as an end by itself. As I said, Doreen and Rosie, listen carefully, uh, and whoever is into copying of sutra. Now, uh, I, I'm, I'm not here to, to demand or to, to say you all must listen to my advice, okay? Whoever is into copying sutra, by all means do what you think uh, is necessary. But, my suggestion would still be, if you are going to do your copying of sutra practice, get those uh, those books, uh, sutra books that is printed specifically for copying um, with the words that is an outline then use a brush dip with water, plain water and you can practice writing the Chinese characters I don't know whether there are any such books for English yeah? Uh, but the ones I know so far are all in Chinese because this practice is predominantly found in Chinese Mahayana Buddhism. Yeah, um, that way you can write all you want many many times. Yeah, on that one set, you don't have to throw it away. You can just reuse it. Okay, uh, if you still choose to go and copy new ones, I hate to say this, but this is your problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there are many venerables who have shared this in many talks already but somehow lay people it's very funny I mean <laughs> some people maybe not lay people but uh, there are so many practices out there why do we keep on getting fixated with copying of sutras you know because the original practice of copying sutra was never as an end by itself just to accumulate merit it was to help people have access to the Dharma it then produced merits the aim was not simply to produce merits you know the aim was to help people have access to Dharma it's just like I shared Dharma with the aim that people can learn Dharma to that can help them to maybe untie some knots maybe become more peaceful maybe become happier um, not exactly with the intention oh let me give Dharma talk to have merits you see the difference yeah so uh, yeah we told and given those sutra to copy and bring to temple during the waterland puja to dispose well if uh, for Doreen and Rosie, if you were instructed by some temples to copy and then to bring to them to, 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 to burn and dispose during the waterland puja uh, then, and you choose to follow that instruction, then just follow th that instruction. Don't have to consult me, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you ask me, learn the sutra. Yeah. The Buddha didn't give teachings for it to become a sutra for people to just copy. The Buddha gave teachings to enlighten us, to help us remove ignorance, to have wisdom, not for us to just make copies of it. But, well, 
阿弥陀佛。嗯， yeah， I'm glad this was brought up. Yeah. So thank you, thank you everyone for sharing the practices you have. Uh, if uh, if there are some practices that you you mentioned that I didn't really go into, and you like me to elaborate more, feel free to drop a message, and then I will try to touch on it um, the following week. Yeah. Uh, and that's all we have for today. Take care. Let's do dedication. Yuan Xiao San Zhang Zhu Fan Lao. Yuan De Zhi Hui Zhen Ming Liao. Pu Yuan Zui Zhang Xi Xiao Chu. Shi Shi Chang Xing Pu Sa Dao. Amitabha. Qi Li.